Hello and a very warm welcome to Be With Champions. This is a show with inspiring, entertaining and informative stories shared by the world's greatest athletes and high performers. You can learn how they got to the top of the world and how they've been able to stay there. Each episode will delve deep into the topics ranging from training and competition, nutrition, sleep and recovery to the mental strategies, all so important when building a strong person or team and everything else in between. Yes, I'm Phil Liggers and I commentated on Greg Bennett during his Olympic career and I'm here to introduce you to him. The man who was a world number one triathlete and has been at the very top of his sport. So here we go. Please meet your host, Greg Bennett. Take it away, Greg. All right. On Be With Champions, I've interviewed some of the greatest athletes on the planet, many of whom have won multiple world championships, but none of them have won as many as this man. My guest today has won nine world championship titles in varying distances and terrains, including five ITU Olympic distance championships, two Ironman 70.3s, an Xterra off-road, and an ITU world long course title. In a conversation of who's the greatest triathlete of all time, this man's name would have to be included. His resume of wins over the past 15 to 20 years is second to none, and when he's not winning, he's on the podium. It hasn't always been smooth sailing. He's had plenty of setbacks to overcome. But his passion, his persistence, and his patience have kept bringing him back to the top of the world. You'd be hard-pressed to find a nicer, humbler champion than this man, a legend of the sport of triathlon, a training partner at times, and a good friend of mine. Welcome to Be With Champions, Mr. Javier Gomez. Thanks for joining me, mate. How are you? Thank you, Greg. Thanks for the yeah. nice introduction. Yeah, yeah, I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, I had to. I had to chop that introduction down a little bit for you. It's like I don't know where to cut. I don't know where to cut this guy off. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a long career. <laughs> yeah, and mate, you're only um, you're only 36 at the moment, and and in my eyes, you, you know, I think you've got some golden years ahead of you. I know you've been pushing pretty hard for you know 15, 20 years, but um, yeah. you know, personally for me, some of my better races were in my late 30s, and I and I I think you've we've still got the best ahead of you. For you. Yeah, I remember you telling me that, so I I, I stick to that. You know, <laughs> the, okay, the, the best thing is still to still to come. <laughs> yeah, and where are you now? Uh, I'm in New Zealand at the moment. Um, the last couple of years, I basically spend the New Zealand summer here, and I do all my base training. I get ready for the first races uh, over here, and then I uh, yeah, I'll head to Europe for for the rest of the season. Yeah, because you you just recently got married to a New Zealand girl, right, Annika? Yeah, how, how recently right. was that? Yeah, that's that's great, man. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome to be able to spend time here in New Zealand in Spain. Uh, I love both countries and basically living in the summer, which is great. Mm, yeah, that's fantastic. Is she still racing? Because I know she was racing professionally as well. Yeah, she's still racing. She did uh, very well actually last year, the end of the season with a sixth place in the World Cup. She won a few uh, national races. So uh, yeah, she's enjoying it and uh, yeah, performing pretty well. Oh, good on her because I, I know she was keen to try and, you know, make the New Zealand team for the Olympics. I think the last time I saw her was one of my, actually it was my last race in 2016 in Beijing. I think she was racing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think she's, she's had some setbacks, but I think she's getting herself yeah. going as well, right? Yeah, yeah. she struggled with lots of injuries and, and problems, but finally it looks like she's uh, getting some rhythm and, and consistency on training and, and she's doing quite well, yeah. Yeah. Well, last time I saw you, I think was Mallorca 
was it last year, 2018? Uh, yeah, start of 2018, in April 2018, and you, you won that 70.3 Ironman then. And, <laughs> and what a whirlwind it's been because basically <laughs> you, uh, you won that. You basically spent 2018 focusing on Ironman, which was your first year doing Ironman triathlons after mm-hmm. – you know, 16, 17 years of doing short course. You spent a year doing that um, and then there was a big announcement that, hang on, I've got unfinished business in the the Olympics and the ITU stuff and everyone was excited to see that, you know, you were going back to um, the ITU and, and you've come thundering back because, you know, you're back on the podium again. Um, how many podium? I know you've won five of the world championship titles in the ITU in the Olympic distance. How many podiums is that for you now in, in I think it's uh, 11 podiums in ITU. Uh, I think. It gets to the point we stop counting. <laughs> it's five goals, four silvers and two bronzes, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, of course, I'm really proud and pleased with my career so far. But, yeah, I still believe that I uh, have my chances in Olympic distance. And uh, even though I did one year of longer stuff, I think it was actually good to freshen my mind and you know, focus on something different and now come back a bit more, um, let's say, fresh and, and hungry to to keep keep doing good things in the sport. Yeah, yeah I think it was, a, a, it was almost like a different approach than what you had going into 2016 in the sense that, you know, you came off a silver medal at London behind Alistair Brownlee and, and then you went on to win, you know, the world championships in uh, 2013, 14, 15 mm. <laughs> and – you know, we can talk about that more later in the show, but then, you know, you're obviously one of the, the big favorites to have a real shootout with Alistair Brownlee in Rio and uh, you broke your arm and yeah. none of us got to see to see that. And and I know, you know, you've been pushing so hard at the ITU and anybody that's done short course racing for as many years as you have, it does take its toll. It's a very intense style of racing. Yeah. So to be able to step back like you've done in this last Olympic cycle, which is the way we often, you know, as Olympic athletes, you tend to look at four-year cycles to maybe go do the long course. And I know you're passionate about the entire sport. I remember talking to you years ago and you're like, yeah, you know, why Ironman is what I want to also do and I also want to win a gold medal. And I, You know, you want to do everything and it's kind of like you gave yourself a chance to have a taste, you know, in 2018 and come back reinvigorated you know ready to go yeah 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 um as i said yeah it was great to explore a uh, different distance of the sport and i uh, have a lot of respect for long distance guys uh, i realize that it's almost a different sport you know you can be as good as you want in short distance but then you go to uh, longer stuff and you have so many things to learn so many things to change on your training um the nutrition is so important it's a whole new world and i i've learned a lot and um yeah made a few mistakes and of course, I'm not very happy with my performance in Kona, but I know that if I train for it again, I'll be more efficient and I, I'm sure I can do much better than, than in 2018. But um, So at the beginning of last year, I had to decide whether I wanted to keep trying long distance or, or give it a, one last shot to the Olympics. And um, yeah, you know, I still love the Olympic distance. And um, in my training, with my times, my intervals, uh, I, I I knew that I still had my, I still could run my best times, uh, or same as ten years ago. So, um, so I decided to do a bit of everything. Uh, this two thousand nineteen, I did ITU long course, I did some seventy point threes, but more focused on Olympic distance. And um, yeah, I found myself competitive. Obviously, uh, things are a bit different now than a few years ago when. 
pretty much the browsers and I dominated all the races, but now it's more open. You know, you see so many different people on the podium um, last season, and it, it just makes the Olympics in Tokyo very, very open. And pretty much anyone or at least another, there are 15 to 20 guys who can win that race. And I want to think that I'm one of them, and I'm going to train half of that now. Mm. I mean, that, like you said, 2019 was a real mix for you because I know you finished the year, you know, racing the Malaysian Ironman, which I can only imagine was unbearable heat, but you still, and humidity, but you still came in with a record time of eight, eight hours and 18 minutes, which was an incredible performance, you know, mm. to finish off the year after really focusing pretty heavily. I know you won the, the world ITU, it was, you won the world ITU long course la- this yeah. year, right? 2019. Pardon yeah, that's right. And at home. So it was a great race. That's and it was right. A special one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would have been incredibly special. So you won that at home in, in, uh, Pontevedra, right? Is that, yeah. do I pronounce it right in Spain? Yeah. Yeah. yeah very good. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then to finish so you kind of bracketed the year with a couple of big long course you know successes um whilst also getting on the podium on the itu world series uh just an incredible year and and now you've set yourself up for a very big 2020 um going for the olympic gold in tokyo in july and then backing that up you know three four months later with you know the hawaii ironman that you've now qualified for um you know, was that always the goal for 2020? Let's do both and let's see what I can do. Um, not, not really. Um, it happens that I'm qualified for, well, not officially, but hopefully for the Olympics and uh, qualify for Kona and qualify for 70.3 Worlds. But that's too much in a year, I think. So um, at the moment, I just want to focus on the Olympics and then I'll see what I do because uh, uh, I would like to perform well at 70.3 Worlds later in the year and, you know, uh, last year I didn't feel very good at that that race and it's a distance that I love so doing everything could be a bit too much but the reason why I did Malaysia last year is because I wanted to keep learning about racing in the heat for both short distance and long distance and uh, mm. uh, in my head like the, there are two more big races important races that I that I have in my career which are the Olympics and Kona and both are in extreme heat conditions so I want to keep learning about um, racing in those conditions. That's why I did uh, Malaysia, and it was something different—a different goal to finish the year. And 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 that was really hot and really humid. And uh, yeah, but uh, I think I worked things out pretty well in that race, and I'm happy with my performance there. Were you were you using different sort of measuring tools while you were in Malaysia? How how were you? Was it just perceived, or did, were you actually testing heart rates and things like that, and wattages d- depending on the weather? Or how did you measure? Yeah, I got some interesting uh, data from my uh, devices and heart rate. And but the most important thing, I worked the uh, nutrition and hydration way better than in Kona. Um, obviously, it's a different race, and you don't have as much pressure as the, the you don't have so many uh, big rivals, you know. And so you can decide a little bit more what you do and how you pace yourself. Whereas in Kona, sometimes you have to take too many risks, and uh, most of the times you end up <laughs> paying that pretty bad but um in yeah malaysia i think the pacing and nutrition work very well i was able to drink a lot during the run and uh, it's something that i wasn't very used to it you know when you race on a big distance you don't really think about that you just pour water on top of you and or drink a little sip but that's not a important factor but in races like corner malaysia you have to be able to drink uh i don't know two or three liters during the run and that's not easy if you are not used to it or, or if you don't train for it 
you, you, that's exactly what happened to me is I, you know, when I turned 40, I was like, you know, I want to give this Ironman thing a go before I'm done. And, you know, like you, I love the sport. I, when I first got in the sport in the mid to late eighties, it was all about Kona Ironman. And I really wanted to give it a go. And I thought, oh yeah, here we go. I'll just, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty reasonable triathlete. I should be able to do, you know, <laughs> kill these races. And I did Melbourne Ironman and just had to sort of validate a spot through that. And, and then I got to Hawaii Ironman and um, like you, I, I think I put too much on my plate. I, I did the, the high V, um, you know, I guess we'd call it yeah. like the, the big prize money race in Des Moines, yeah. Iowa, which in, and, uh, I was pretty keen on winning that, but you ended up running me down. So I didn't get to win that. <laughs> um, a week or two later, it was 70.3 worlds. And then it was, you know, four weeks to Kona and I, I put too much on my plate. And in some respects, I didn't respect it enough. Um, I, and, and it is a different beast when you have, all the variables of the nutrition, like you said, which you really don't have to think about terribly much. You know, in short course, it's basically take some caffeine and you know yeah. maybe a, a little bit of fluid, but it's really, you know, that. And then there's also that incredible strength that you need. And you know, I loved this past year watching you know a good friend of mine, Timothy O'Donnell, you know, come second. And yeah. what impressed me about him was just the way he raced with so much strength. There was no breakdown. Like he might not be the most dynamic short course athlete that, you know, you and I grew up doing short course, but you watch these guys that are trained specifically for that Ironman and and the way that they can hold their form over the eight hours or sub eight hours now for some of these guys yeah. is truly remarkable. And it is a different beast. And that's what, you know, next year and uh, like you said, okay, focus on the Olympics um, because that's going to take – everything you've got and obviously you've got the ability to win that gold medal um it's within you and but you can't have any other distractions but no. you know come come the following day while you, you're celebrating after your gold medal okay maybe now let's go give this kona thing a go <laughs> yeah, yeah no yeah and last year i did a bit of everything and i knew from the beginning that that's not the ideal way to to train for either olympic or long long distance but i wanted to do it i just wanted to have fun a little bit but now this year it's time to um to focus and uh, at least until the end of July, I just focus on Olympic distance. And after that, I'll see what I do. I don't want to think much about it, but probably yeah, the rest of my career will be will go towards Kona. I guess, I don't know if I will do Kona already next year or if I'll, I'll wait until 2021. But it's something that I want to keep trying. And uh, I don't know if I'm capable of winning that race or not, but I know for sure that I can do better than in 2018. So uh, I want to at least get it right and get a performance that i'm happy with well I, I think you know i amongst many have a lot of faith in your ability to probably do whatever you set your mind to you know i've 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 trained with you and uh seen the way you operate and it's it's not just raw talent there's a there's a real passion and purpose about every day and everything you do and uh i have no doubt that if you want to be successful in kona you will but Enough about sort of the future. I, I'd like to sort of wind the clock right back. And, mm -hmm. and I'm really curious as to, you know, when did you first sort of find your passion for endurance sport? How young were you? Where were you? And, you know, what was that like? Um, well, I guess since I, I remember, I always liked sports and more endurance individual sports, even though I played uh, football like pretty much every kid in Spain, uh, I soon started swimming in my swim club. And um, I was naturally more driven towards longer distances and, and tougher, you know, races like 400 AM, 800 free, 1500 free. And uh, at the same time, I always loved 
running or cycling just just for fun, just for the sake of it. Triathlon was a very small sport uh, back in that day in Spain, and I. Uh, but luckily, when I was fifteen, I uh, there were some some people in my club, some older people, age groupers who were training for a triathlon, and kind of they they knew I liked cycling, I liked running, and I was a swimmer. And they told me why not trying it, and and it was a, it was a very amateur, very new sport in Spain. But uh, yeah, I gave it a go and uh, had a lot of fun. Even though it was an Olympic distance race and I was only fifteen, uh, mm-hmm. it was a tough experience. But I, I really loved the sport, and I and I found that I had some you know some talent or good ability or whatever for for that. Even more than swimming, you know, I had been swimming for uh for a long time already and i you know made nationals but i wasn't never big enough or strong enough to be a a, you know world-class swimmer but i could naturally run or bike uh pretty well without any training so i thought i could have my chance there yeah and so was there a time uh, sort of around that time that you're like you know hey i've got some real talent i've got some real strengths at this because one thing i I see with a lot of younger kids and, and people getting into the sport or they're very passionate about whatever they're doing. And I'm kind of, I'm a big advocate of saying, look, if you're passionate, that's great. But unless you've got the talent and the strengths to go with it, I'm not always sort of saying, advocating, hey, go follow your passions. I think you've got to kind of merge the two together. Was there a point where you were like, wow, I, you know, it might have been just beating up on your neighbors or whatever it was. Was there, was there a point, like you said, okay, swimming wasn't my talent. You know, I wasn't going to be a world champion swimmer, but was it that first race or how did that happen? Um, well, probably a bit later on, um, you know, I had been training so hard in swimming and went to the nationals. I made the finals and I finished sixth and I was so happy and, and stoked for that result. It was really good. And then I think it was one month later, I went to uh, triathlon nationals, I think it was a junior, um, and pretty much without any training or not much training on the run on bike. And I won nationals, you know, it's like, well, it felt way easier than, than swimming. I have been training so hard and I only got sixth place. And now I, um, I'm winning, you know, my age group, my category with, with not much training. So yeah, I realized I had some talent, but I was always very realistic. I didn't dream that big when i was a kid you know like thinking of being world champion or anything like that it was more like a natural process and you know i was getting better and better and it got to a point that i thought that i could actually realistically be world champion and i trained for it but i I wasn't such a dreamer when i was a kid you know i went step by step and um and another important point in my career was probably the under 23 worlds when in queenstown um i went there i was only 20 years old and it was my first international race and I didn't know if I was good enough to even race there. And, uh, and I, I did a race and I won unexpectedly. So it was quite a, that was probably the point when I thought, okay, maybe I can try to be professional this sport. I can make a living out of this, this sport that I love and, and I have the talent for it probably. And it wasn't all smooth sailing from then. I, I was in Queenstown and I remember watching you win that under 23 Worlds and I think there was a lot of people like, wow, who's this guy? Um, and it, and you were 20, I remember that as well, just out of juniors. And and then it wasn't easy. I mean, you had another, the next sort of three, four, five, six years was was pretty rocky with, with you from, I, I remember we kind of saw you and then we didn't see you for a while. And, you know, I often ask my guests at this point, you know, when did you, to kind of pull the trigger and decide I'm going to go all in and you know focus on a full-time career and be everything I can but for you I think you tried to pull that trigger but 
there were a few setbacks. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, had a few setbacks already before that race in, in Queenstown when I was 17 or 18. I was part of the junior national team and uh, they found like something different in my heart, like a valve which was a bit different. And the doctor decided to to stop me from doing sport just as prevention, I guess. And uh, uh, of course, when you have your hopes, when you're a 16, 17-year-old kid and they tell you to stop doing sport, that's, that's really hard, uh, really hard pill to swallow. But um so what, what I did, what, what we did with the support of my parents, we visited different doctors to get uh, different opinions and, and know more about my case. And and we soon realized that uh, there was actually no risk for me doing the sport at, at a high level. So at that point, we started a pretty tough battle against the National Federation, the Spanish Sports Institute. And uh, yeah, and it took years to get my license back because they didn't want to let me race and we... We basically fought for it for quite a long time, and um, yeah, so it was pretty pretty tough, a pretty t- tough path, I guess. And when I was, I missed all the junior world championships, for example, and uh, I only did that under twenty three in Queenstown. So uh, yeah, my career was quite uncertain at that time. But that all, I also realized at that point that I really loved the sport and. I was training anyway, even though I didn't know if I was going to be able to race or not. I just mm. loved doing it. And so when eventually in 2006, all the problems disappeared and the, the federation allowed me to race finally, um, for me, just the fact of being in a star line was, was amazing. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, mm. and yeah, and I guess it took a lot of pressure out of my shoulders, you know, like being able to, to race and do what I like to do, you know. Yeah, because I think you were – I remember seeing you in uh, Madeira World Championships before yeah. the Athens Olympics, and I think mm-hmm. you got to race then, right? So that was kind of in uh, 2004. Yeah. So you, it was almost like they allowed you to race for six months or something, and then they stopped you again? Or what? Yeah, there was some- yeah they, they allowed me to race in 2004, and then apparently some new cardiology guides uh, came up, and they – they used them to uh, to stop me from racing in 2005. So we had to, yeah, you know, go to London to a really mm. good cardiologist and get advice from some cardiologists in America as well. Um, so in 2005, I I wasn't allowed to race, and um, yeah, it took us a whole year, another legal battle to to get wow. my right to race again in 2006 when I started to do world caps. <laughs> Yeah. They were worried about your health? Is that, like, what was the reasoning? I don't even understand. They were, they were worried that you could keel over? What was the whole point of them saying you can't race? Well, I guess uh, at the beginning it was my health, you know, it was a part that is different and some people can cause some problems, but every case is different. So you have to study each individual case. And in my case, it was more than proof that uh, had no risk of problems to the sport with certain controls every year, which, which I always done and still do. Um, but, um, I guess it turned into more like a ego battle with the, <laughs> with the cardiologist of the, of the Spanish Institute of Sport, because, uh, she first said I couldn't race and, and then we came with all these doctors and other people saying that, uh, there was no risk for me to race. And yeah, it was more that battle than the actual health problem, which was pretty clear that I could race without any problems so yeah that took that took quite some time and when you are a, a younger kid and no one really knows you they you know they don't care i guess the easy option is stop you from racing and then they don't have any problems 
Did you ever feel, because I, I don't know if people know this, but you were actually born in Switzerland. Did you ever think, oh, I mean, could have you gone back and said, I'm going to race for Switzerland and, and kind of gone around it that way? Did that ever, was that ever something? Or was, not, not really. A lot of people uh, ask me that, and, but, and not really. I didn't want to go anywhere else. I wanted to, <laughs> to you know, race for Spain because I was allowed to, but uh, yeah. it was not really an option. I was more focused on trying to get my license because uh, uh, I always thought that, I, you know, uh, at some point I would get it back, but it just took some time. <laughs> And what's incredible about that, you know, that five, six-year period that we're talking about where you, you really weren't in the sport, I mean, you did a handful of races, but is we look at your resume now in, in you know, 20 years later or whatever since we started and, and like I rattled off at the start of the show, just the volume of wins and world titles and everything you had. And, and we're not even including, you know, from the age of 20 to 26, we're really just including from 2006 yeah. to today. And I... Either it was a, a blessing in disguise, it kind of held you back a fraction and so you've got more races in you maybe towards the end of your career here. You know, you can push later into your 30s and 40s because you didn't use it all up or we could be saying, hang on, this guy could have had another five world titles by now. <laughs> Do you ever look at it like that or is it just, it is what well, it is? Uh, for, uh, for sure, I, I missed some races, but especially when I was a junior under 23 or in 2005, because in 2006, I started racing and I was already winning World Cup. So I think in 2005, I already had a level to, you know, to be in podiums or, or I don't know, uh, just be winning races already. I don't know what I miss, but, uh, you know, you can go back to the past. That's how my career was, how my life was. And uh, I tried to take the positives out of it. And I learned a lot, you know, uh, made me, yeah, first of all, appreciate the sport way more or, or the fact of mm. racing, you know, or mm. or maybe more, maybe more mature, you know, when you had when you have to deal with all that stuff at a young age, it's it's pretty tough. But if you get to like all the problems in life, you get to overcome the problem that makes you stronger. And I think that mm. made me stronger. And uh, um, yeah, and luckily I had a long career after that. So I don't know how much I missed uh, during those years, but um, it was maybe it helped me in my career later. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. And and how's your relationship with the Spanish Federation now? I mean, is it all yeah, yeah it's bike? pretty good. I mean, uh, most of the people are not there anymore. Or, um, but yeah, I have a good relationship. It was more with the Spanish Institute of Sport um, than the Federation. They just follow their uh, orders pretty much. So um, yeah, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I just want to keep going let's say and uh yeah i have a pretty decent relationship at the moment with them <laughs> so once once you got the go ahead sort of that 2006 you mm -hmm. you just said right here we go and you pulled the trigger and said i'm going to get go all in is that you know you you'd been training still but once they said go was it just like all right let, let give me a chance to show the world what i've got um well I guess I kept doing what I was doing, which was training, basically. And they took me to the first uh, two World Cups, and I was stoked. You know, they were in in um, in Qatar, the only one I think, the only time we raced there in Doha, and then the next one was in in Aqaba in Jordan. And the first one, I got a tenth place, and everyone was so happy, like, "Wow, it's incredible! Your first World Cup, you you finished tenth. But I was so unhappy because I knew I had a horrible race. And the next weekend, I was. Second, I got my first podium, second to uh, Polycarpenko, and I was, yeah, that was a good result. And after that, I, I 
I was on the podium for the rest of the World Cups uh, that year. And um, yeah, and I, I don't know, I, I, it wasn't that I wanted to prove everyone how good I was or that I wanted to win everything. It just, I just went race by race and uh, I was getting good results and I was stoked. <laughs> yeah, and um, you won your first... Your first World Cup in Madrid, wasn't it? Or yeah, yeah, it was in, that in two thousand and six in Madrid? Yeah, 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 which was yeah. Obviously, winning World Cup is amazing, and when you win it at home, uh, I think second was Ivan Raña, was a Spanish, so it was a great day for us. Yeah, yeah, but that must have been somewhat of a career highlight, I guess. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, after all those years of fighting battles and then getting the chance to, you know, win a race, a major race like that, like a World Cup, and yeah. and to do it on home soil. And then I think you backed it up again with a few more wins, didn't you, in 06, Hamburg and something else? Yeah, it was Hamburg and uh, which was the Cancun. other one? Cancun. I think Cancun. Cancun yeah, the last one. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I did that one um, and then I won the, the World Cup Series that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. And then it was um, – so leading up, I never forget leading up to sort of the, the 08 Olympics, you know, you really – it's one of those stories where – you know, we get a glimpse of you in two, in uh, two thousand and three at the under twenty three World Championships, or two thousand was it two thousand three? Yeah, yeah. And then we get tiny glimpses of you in two thousand and five, and then boom, oh six and oh seven and oh eight, you take the world by storm, and you're going into the two thousand Olympic Games as one of the kind of favourites. Um, you just won the World Championships in Vancouver a couple of months before. Yeah. And uh, tell us a little bit about that going in as kind of a favorite because I, I kind of had a similar story going into 04, um, yeah. but your, yours is kind of similar going into 08. Tell me a little bit about that because I know it's a bit of a sore point, but it's another kind of yeah. obstacle no, it, you've had that you've had yeah. to overcome and keep moving. Yeah, well, the 2008 season started very well, like too too well probably because I was really fit at the beginning winning World Cups in Moldova and Plymouth. Uh, winning the world championships in Vancouver but that race even though it was my first world title was a pretty bittersweet one because I, I got injured there and I remember I was running and I could feel my Achilles tendon uh, quite sore but you know you just keep going you finish the race and you hope that with a uh, one week of easy training or rest you you know it's gonna mm. be fine but um so I won that world title but uh I had one week off to recover but the problem was still there. So um, it got to a point that I had to get back into training to to prepare the Olympics properly. And uh, yeah, my tendon was still sore. We did lots of things and it, it didn't, nothing really work. And, and so I decided to try to keep going, train the best I could for the Olympics, training with pain every day, waking up in the morning and not being able to walk properly. Uh, that's quite hard when you are the, the one of the favorites and you have a lot of pressure, especially in Spain, you know, like mm. uh, all the media and all the people um, hoping to get at least a medal and, and, and you know, and it's possible the gold medal and you're, you can <laughs> barely walk. That's, that's pretty tough. But somehow I kept training. I made the injury worse and I made it to the start line in, in Beijing, probably not my best shape ever. And I basically, I gave everything I had that day and was not good enough uh, for the medals. And I got a fourth place, which is quite tough when you're a group of four and you finish fourth in the sprint finish, you know. So, and yeah, it was quite disappointing. And especially the reaction of uh, media in Spain and many people, you know, criticizing your job or what you do. And it's like, 
you know, I've been suffering so much. I've been working so hard in, in these conditions. And that's, you know, that's all I had. I finished fourth and that, that's it. But um, obviously people thought that I should have gotten the medal. And, and yeah, it was, was, yeah, it was quite tough, but also a good learning experience and uh, uh, for, the, for the next Olympics probably. And, you know, the Olympic year is a, is a special year and you have so much pressure and sometimes you try to overdo, you know, overtrain or train too much. You, you just want to be in the best shape of your life. And that's probably what happened to me. I started the year really strong and training really hard and eventually I got injured. So um, it's something that I learned and I didn't make the same mistake four years later. That's why, you know, they didn't, I didn't go to Athens, even though I always thought I, uh, I deserved it because I was clearly the second best Spanish at that moment. And probably that Olympic experience would have helped me to, to do things better in Beijing. But, um, so I had to learn the, the hard way, but yeah, uh, now, when I think about it now, it's, it's fine, but it took me some time to recover, um, mentally from, from that race and that experience here. Just to give the audience an idea, Vancouver, the World Championships were in June of uh, 2008. And I think it's by far the coldest race I think I've ever done. Um, I was in tremendous shape. I had to just get a podium to secure Australia's third spot. I I remember you putting the first two laps on the run. (laughs) Yeah, and and I knew I was fit. I'd I'd been running 29.20 in a 10K run race. I knew – and I just completely cramped up. My glutes just completely locked up. My back locked up. And it was absolutely one of the most hell experience. And I, I don't know where I faded to, but it was, I really, I couldn't move. It was so, so cold. Right. And so to hear you pull up, you know, lame with an Achilles injury from that race, it, it doesn't surprise me. Um, but what, what's extraordinary about your story is you're not alone. Um you know, well, obviously, I have my story in 04 where the Australians had the qualifying in uh, December and January, and I, I was used to doing the international season and had to peak again, kind of in the in the wrong time of year. And I got very, very fit, managed to qualify. You know, February second, I think it was, but pulled up with an Achilles injury, and then had to hide it from everybody all the way up to Athens Olympics because I didn't want to be kicked off the team. Yeah. And you know, I was working with good people to get me to the start line, and, and like you, I finished fourth. Um, and so it's a similar story. And then, you know, my wife, Laura, she had a similar story going into um, Beijing as well, where she also had a plantar fascia injury that she couldn't tell anybody about that she picked up, you know, earlier in the year. And and it's funny how, you know, when we're, we're somewhat dictated to by federations or the calendar and you want to do everything you can, you want to try and get to the Olympics and everything else, but often it's not the most ideal path. And I remember even Jan Fadino in uh, 2018, you know, the race that you guys had together in um, Cape Town at the 70.3 World Championships there and yeah. you guys going backwards and forwards. And I know you had some some uh, gut issues and some cramping and had yeah. to, you know, I think you finished third in the end just, yeah. but, yeah. but you know, I remember Jan and I, I said, I think it was one of the greatest races I've seen anybody do. And, I, and between yourself, Jan Fredino, and Alistair Brownlee, I think we've still got more. I just, you three are just the pinnacle of the sport. But that performance of his, I remember getting on Twitter and saying that was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. And hmm. and then 48 hours later, you know, he writes, I'm out of Kona Ironman World Championships, you know, with a stress fracture in my sacrum. And I, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's very you know, thin line between being very very fit and and injured <laughs> yeah well that's the knife bed very, play on it yeah, yeah. uh it's extraordinary for, for olympics it's uh the first first you have to 
get there, make it to the start line. That's already a big success because a lot of people get injured in the way and they don't do it. And then you have to be healthy or try to be healthy because if you could know, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a big percentage of people on the start line uh, with some kind of pain or little injury, minor or bigger. But yeah, if you make it fit and healthy and injury-free, that's already a good start point. (laughs) Yeah, but then your your lead up to 2012 and London Olympic Games and, you know, this was when really the big era of Javier Gomez Noya versus, you know, Alistair Brownlee and Jonathan Brownlee and the three of you leading up to that Olympic Games, um, swapping world championship titles every year and, um, you know, and then, you know, there's a lot of pressure on all of you. I mean, obviously, Alistair Brownlee being a home Olympics, but uh, all of you were somewhat favourites you know and it was like you know this is going to be one of the best shootouts we've ever seen and we really got in a magnificent show and uh Mm. you know you guys uh the three of you getting off on that run and then dropping jonathan brownlee and then it's left with you know you and alistair and then yes alistair did creep away from you and i think he got you by seven or eight seconds at the end but it was you know how how was that experience i guess you know after beijing was that you know obviously you would have loved the gold medal but was it you know, in terms of performance and fulfillment, how was that one? Yeah, in terms of performance, that was probably one of my best performance ever. And I think it was a fair podium, you know, after everything that happened 2009, 2010, 2011, and 2012, like Alistair, Jonathan, and I were dominating pretty much every race. So I think we all deserve it to be on that podium. And and that was a, an amazing race. The whole experience, you know, the, the crowd in Hyde Park was unbelievable. You just hear people screaming all the time. Um, and um, when I think about it, that I, I, there's nothing more I could do to win that gold medal. I mean, that, Alistair was just better than me. I didn't make mistakes. I was second out of the water. I was in the breakaway at the beginning. And then I was uh, always in a good position on the bike. And uh, uh, and I ran my best 10K that I was capable of, I'm pretty sure. Um, when I think of my training before that and running – 29 16 i think i ran that day on that course uh, and after a pretty pretty fast bike that's all i had that's the best i could do that day and uh Alistair was just better than me he was um, amazing so uh, i'm really happy with that performance and how the race uh win my silver medal you know i know to win the the goal i would need to uh run about 29 minutes flat and i wasn't capable of doing that probably so uh yeah, off the bike, off the bike with twists and turns and U-turns and everything yeah. else. And, and I think you're, you're probably talking about the fact that you probably won closer to a 28.30 had it been a straight run. And, you yeah. know, I, I look at every U-turn costs you three to five seconds, you know, with yeah. the slowdown effect and U-turns. And you had a number of those with a lot of really tight corners. And then obviously any kind of fatigue that you guys had off the bike. And I remember you saying to me, might have been before or just after, how fit you were. And you were, I think you had your heart rate monitor on. And, and and you might have to correct me on this, but I think you said my heart rate was 150 beats per minute and I was able to do repeats at three minute to three minute 10K pace. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, uh, probably, yeah, about that. And uh, I was running uh, my 254, 253 pace and I'm training on 1K, 2K repeats, like holding 162, 163 heart rate, which is, <laughs> I'm, I'm a pretty low heart rate guy, but um 
I was really fit, and yeah. but I <laughs> just just so Americans can understand, that's like running four forty eight to, you know, under five minute mile pace. Uh, yeah. with a with yeah. a, a one sixty. That, that year, I was I was obsessed with a two fifty five. That you know, that was the twenty nine ten, and mm-hmm. uh, so that's what I was aiming for in all my training. Obviously, sometimes you do stuff faster than that and slower, but um, that was, and I truly believe that I was capable of running in a good day uh, that and that's pretty much what i did 29 16 and uh, when you slow down a little bit in the last few meters before the end um so yeah that's pretty pretty accurate so uh, that's that's the best performance i could possibly have <laughs> no no wonder you guys retired me from itu racing because i wasn't anywhere near those times and i remember going thinking uh, i'd go you know try for one more olympics in 2012 and you know you and i had lived together and trained together in noosa a little bit and and I, I always felt, well, maybe I can still be in the game, but I remember, you know, racing yourself and Alistair Brownlee a couple of times in 2011, I think. And uh, I was like, you know what? It was the first time in my career. And, and without a word of the light, I remember coming back to the hotel and just saying to Laura, I don't know how I can beat these guys. Like, and, and that's to, not to basically everybody else in, for the you know 20 years before that that I'd been racing I always felt there was a something I could do whether it was attack on the bike or it was yeah. I don't know something on the run or that I felt like everybody whether it be Chris McCormack Simon Weirfield Hamish Carter anybody that I'd raced I always yeah. felt that there's a puzzle I may not be beating him now but I can figure it out but I remember coming back to the hotel room after one of the races I think it was in Kitzbühel in Austria and I I said to to Laura I said I don't I can't beat them. Definitely not in this form of racing. Maybe if we went longer or non-drafting, I'd have a better chance. But I was like, I'm done. And I remember flying back to the US and ending my ITU dreams and any kind of Olympic thoughts in that moment. And it was, uh, you know, for what you guys were doing, you really took the sport to a whole nother level that knocked my generation out. (laughs) Yeah. In my opinion, those years, 2010, 11, and 12, where – uh, I've seen the most amazing performances in uh, short distance triathlon there. Yeah. Like some uh, Alistair's performances, uh, Kitsville in Madrid, I remember another year. Things that I, 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 I'd never seen again, you know, and yeah. took us to a different level, you know, and I had to work so hard and try to figure out how to, to, to match that level, you know, be competitive and get against him. I think it was, at the end of the day, it was a great thing for, for the sport and uh, mm-hmm. it was a big rivalry and it still is you know 10 years later pretty much um of course well i think moving on to the you know in terms of this rivalry i mean you know last year was the 30 year anniversary of dave scott mark allen you know the Mm -hmm. big showdown that they had in 89 and called the iron war but i think in terms of rivalries what we've seen between you and alistair over this last 10 years has been something incredible and you're both transitioning to ironman at a similar time but just moving back a little bit, when you know 2012 ends, and then you go on to to win the world championship title in 2013, 2014, 2015. It, it really became the the Javier Gomez era, and then all of a sudden, here we go. We're thinking, okay, this is going to be the biggest showdown we've all been waiting for years. You know, can can Javier Gomez find that 10 seconds and you know get his gold medal? And and you know, it was just going to be. We were so excited about, it. and I know, our, you know, I spoke to Alistair Brownlee um, shortly after those Olympics, and he said, "Yeah, I, I, you know, you break your arm, and he truly missed you. He actually wanted, he wanted it as well." And yeah. so, tell us a little bit about that whole 
next sort of phase of your career? Yeah, I guess well, I kept the same really good level in 2013, 14, 15, and I won those world titles. Uh, I'm not going to say easy, but because it's never easy, but I guess the fact that Alistair wasn't uh, so consistent and he struggled with a few injuries and, and Johnny as well, one of those years he struggled with injuries and I kept my consistency. So I basically, yeah, I kept winning those world titles, but I knew for a one day race, like, um, like, uh, Rio, anything could happen and not only Alistair and Johnny, but, um, if the race was, if it became a running race, you know, you had Mario, you had Vincent Louis, you have other younger guys coming up like really fast, really strong. But um, Rio was definitely a course that I that I liked. I won the test event the year before, and I felt good on that course and that hill and and the run. You know, in the heat, I I had improved a lot racing in the heat, so I was ready for it. I was training very well. I had a good preparation in 2016, and, and just one of those days. Uh, I think it was exactly one month before arriving home from a bike ride, going uphill. Somehow my chain got stuck, and I. I fell off the bike going 15k an hour, maybe, or even slower than that. Mm. And I was unlucky that I fell on my shoulder and, uh, yeah, I broke it. And that was the end of it. It was and one of those uh, other hard moments in my career. But, you know, it's part of the game. You, you have to deal with, with that. And, uh, yeah, it was quite heartbreaking and, and, and tough for me. But, yeah, you, there's not much you can do about it, you know. And so how did you deal with it? I mean, you know, was it who, who was in your life at that point? Did you have a good support team around you? And, you know, that kind of leads me into where I want to go next is talking about your relationships and, you know, yeah. whether it be your family and your support crew in your younger days and growing up to your team of experts that you surround yourself. You know, yeah, tell me a little I, bit about that team and how they've affected you over the last sort of 20 years. Yeah, of course, I had really good support uh, for my wife, first of all, Um uh, my family, my parents, my brother, uh, some close friends who were there. And yeah, it was quite shocking in, in Spain generally. I remember being in the hospital after having surgery and a lot of media were waiting for me to, to come and say something. You know, they were all, um, they were all sad and, and yeah, you know, and frustrated as well, I guess. But, um, yeah, I was really mad and angry and disappointed and frustrated for a couple of days. But after that, you wake up in the morning and you think, well, what, what am I going to do now? Keep being angry and frustrated or, or think what's next, you know? So I decided to put all my energy in trying to recover that elbow, which wasn't easy. It took a lot of rehab to, to, you know, to be able to use it properly again. And, and that's what I, that was my focus. And I knew I'm, I was going to miss the Olympics. And uh, I was already thinking of 2017 and, and try to get back. Uh, strong you know and mm. keep enjoying my sport and when you think with perspective uh, some times in my career I was lucky you know I won world titles probably in 2010 when Jan was supposed to win that world title and he had a horrible grand final and, and somehow I, I found that I was world champion so I think I'm, I was lucky that day and other days I was lucky as well but mm. some days you are unlucky and you have to deal with the tough uh, side of the sport and, and and but you have to accept it as part of your journey and and keep going there's not much more you can do mm. and i think that's it i think recognizing one of the things i've noticed you know talking to champion athletes like you is you're very um honest with yourself about when times were lucky or well when opportunity came your way and you were able to 
take advantage of it. And I think when you recognize that you were lucky, it allows you to to handle the unlucky situations yeah. a lot better. You know, you can kind of balance it out. Um, so with your family, you know, just uh, growing up, did you are they still in the same town as you in Ponte Verde or yeah you know? yeah they are they are in Ponte Verde as well and um, yeah they have always been a great support my parents I mean and I have to do those uh, early swims before going to school they would always take me to the you know to the pool and pick me up with breakfast and I would have breakfast in the car on the way to school and you know they were always been very passionate about sport as well and they they always allowed me to decide what i wanted to do in my life you know uh, mm. and yeah i'm very grateful for that definitely and you got a, you got a really fit brother as well don't you yeah he's really talented he's probably a talented one in sport but he just <laughs> he's the talented one <laughs> he, he doesn't train at all he he can go for a run and run 340 335 pace for 8k <laughs> well, without, any, without any training really so that's quite quite impressive he ran a marathon in three hours with running once a week so uh <laughs> he's, he's he's pretty talented but he he studied and he he yeah. plays guitar as well he has does lots of things sport just for fun sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah um i just want to go into a little bit about sort of how you've been able to operate um in terms of the day-to-day kind of stuff and and the first kind of query have you always kind of have you worked with your sleep and recovery type program. Do you use wearables or anything like that, or are you pretty self-aware? How how do you manage your sleep and recovery? Um, I just uh, nothing really special, I guess. I try to uh, to sleep as much as possible in the night, and then I always try to have a, a nap uh, between sessions uh, during the day for about one hour, and I try to get my eight hours sleep at night at least, and uh, and if I can, another hour sometime during the day um yeah but i don't use any device or anything no. special really no actually i i nobody i've spoken to <laughs> has, has issues with sleep i feel like it must yeah. be the gift of a champion athlete it's like yeah. all well, of you... I, I sometimes if i do a hard session in the afternoon or in the evening then uh yeah i struggle a little bit or after a race i always have problems with sleep but um uh, generally yeah if yeah i try to to have a good sleep because that's the the key to recover yeah and and what about with your nutrition and things like that are you following any kind of specific diets or i mean i guess for Ironman, like we touched on earlier in the program you know you've you've had to work a little bit on that but in terms of yeah. day-to-day and then also within your training and racing is there any kind of advice you can give uh, again i'm pretty simple as well i try to have a healthy diet and and i eat uh all kind of foods, you know, and I'm not restricted in anything. I just try to have healthy stuff and good product. And um, I'm lucky where I live in, in Spain, we have really good vegetables, really good fish, really good meat, really good everything. And I just try to get quite a good quality stuff and, and have a good balanced diet, but I don't follow any specific diet really. Mm. Have you got somebody overlooking your training programs at the moment? Who's coaching you? Or yeah, uh, Carlos uh, is my coach. Oh, Carlos. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know him. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's been, I've been working with him for uh, since 2013, and yeah, I, and I know him for my whole life, pretty much. When it, my first triathlon, he was racing as well, so we're we are good friends, and um, uh, yeah, we we we've been working together for a few years now, and it goes well because um, I'm. I think I'm already an experienced athlete, so I always give my opinion. And we, we between the both of us, we 
we make the program and, and we make adjustments and, and things on the way, you know, depending on how I'm feeling. And, and yeah, it's a good, good relationship. Yeah, you guys seem like you're almost joined by the hips, you know. Every time I've seen you in Noosa, Australia or races around the world, you know, we, we, I see him, you know, he's there and close yeah. to you. And I think I, I've i encouraged a lot of athletes over time, you know, I kind of feel like in your teens and early 20s, it's really important to have sort of a coach, somebody yeah. that's really overseeing and guiding you. But when you get into your late 20s and early 30s, I think – you really should have a pretty good self-awareness of the way yeah. you work and what works for you. And it's yeah. that coach becomes more like a consultant. And what I'm doing with, you know, Bennett Endurance and our business now is rather than coaching athletes is really I just want to consult with you because I I want the athlete to be fully responsible for, for their life. And yeah. I'm here as a sounding board and, and I want to give some advice, but I'm not going to hold your hand through everything. And I think there's something empowering about that. You know, it's like you – you can fully take control of everything you need to do and then you've got, you know, Carlos to bounce ideas off and, and work with. And I think that's a yeah. really great, you know, team to have around you. And are you traveling with any kind of bodywork people these days or, you know, is there anybody helping you biomechanically or bodywork? Um, I travel with a physio sometimes to some races and uh, uh, with my manager um, to most of the races as well. He's also a good friend um, and Carlos that – that's it really um but yeah i think it's important to have a team around you that you trust you know this is not like a normal job that you you finish your your work and you go out of the office and you don't see anyone until the next day you know you you travel together you you share a room together many times and um you know it's a really intense relationship so it's good to to um to, to i don't i don't you don't need to be friends but you have to have a good relationship yeah and i've mentioned it in shows before it's like it's you need a team of experts around you that truly want the best for you you know it's yeah. one thing to have an expert manager or an expert coach consultant or bodywork guy um but unless they truly want the best for you I, I really don't think they're they're the right person for your team and like you said it's if you can have mutual respect or or somewhat of a friendship i think then you can really get the most yeah out. you really need to trust the people you work with that's very important yeah how how do you find it in Spain? I mean, you're you're a pretty big name, you know, over there. And is there, you know, you mentioned, you know, when you broke your arm and you had media, you know, knocking at the hospital door asking for, you know, for you to give quotes. Is is there, you know, is fame something that you're dealing with when you're over there? Is you walk down the streets, or is it, you know, it, I mean, is it yeah. Still well, the evolution of the sport in Spain has been amazing. Uh, thanks to good results we we've had in the you know the past couple of decades with Ivan Raña, myself, and Mario Mola, and now doing amazing things as well. Mm. So the sport got much bigger, and uh, yeah, a lot of people recognize you on the streets, and uh, but that's fine. We're still not football players. We can uh, you know go to a restaurant and and just have a nice meal without many people interrupting you or. Things like that, but it, it's great. I mean, when someone comes in on the street and asks for a photo or, or tells you the, how, that they watch your races and they enjoy it, or or you, you know, when someone tells you that you you inspire him or her to do a sport or do a triathlon, or, that, that's a great thing, you know. And the end of the day, I think professional athletes we also should be role, role models, you know, and and we we have a big responsibility with that, you know, because uh, a lot of a lot of people uh, looking at you and, and wanting to be like you, and and, and that's uh, 
so you have to be a, a good example you know not not only racing but also with your uh, behavior and with your attitude i guess i mean spain is one of those countries that it's it's kind of like australia it's it's one of those countries where you suddenly see there's always a Spaniard on top of the world in whatever sport you tend to, you know, if we're watching tennis, we're watching Nadal, or if we're watching yeah. the soccer, it's the Spanish team. And, you know, are you guys able to all, are the top athletes all communicating with each other? I think you've gone for bike rides and stuff with, yeah. with Nadal, haven't you? Yeah, I met a few of the great uh, Spanish champions and Nadal is definitely one of them. And I was lucky to share a day with him in Mallorca riding bikes and, and then I met him in other events, and he's a great guy. He's just a uh, uh, you know young kid. He he has his friends from from school, you know, and he's mm. surrounded by his people. But at the same time, he's a huge uh, personality. You know, everyone knows him, and he's uh, yeah, he's definitely a very famous person, and and uh, has a big impact in the in, in other Spanish people. So, but he's a great role model, and and generally, you know, all the great athletes you meet, they are good people as well you know they have to be grounded at the end of the day if you want to be successful you have to work hard every day you know you can't forget that so you have to be grounded yeah so give us a little insight into that you know when you say work hard every day what's a you know a training week for you or a training day look like what kind of volumes and stuff are you doing i mean obviously it changes depending on the year but yeah season but well generally i would say in terms of volumes uh a week would be about 25k swim 350 400 on the bike and around 100 on the run sometimes the run goes a bit higher like up to 120 maximum um and also depends when i'm training for short distance or long distance but um yeah it would be uh, about that but to be honest uh, the intensity is really what what makes you what kills you you know and mm. That's why, you know, the, on training for Olympic distance is quite hard on your body, all those track sessions, you know, those 1K reps. Uh, we used to do in Noosa, that's what hurts you more than a long run, you know, at least to me, in my opinion. No, I um, think you're right. I, th- I was talking to uh, Cameron Worth about that, and we both agree that speed kills, you know, and yet you've got to do it. And uh, it's that fine line between how much speed do I need to do to, to be better. Um, yeah. I remember... I'm just thinking back, you know, when we, you know, you mentioned doing, you know, those repeats or whatever we did. I'll, I'll never forget one of the workouts we did together. And we often did our long runs together on a Tuesday or whatever day of the week we were doing it. But, yeah. um, and I'd been kind of doing the 32Ks, you know, two hour runs for a few yeah. weeks and you turned up and immediately slotted in. You know, I, I think the first week you, you ran 20K with me, the next week 25, and then I think by the end, you, you know, it was 30 weeks immediately, even though you hadn't been doing that kind of work. And yeah. um, and I remember, you know, we were running kind of 340 to 345K pace and and just ticking it along. And I'll never forget, um, well, I have two stories, but the, I'll never forget before the Sydney World Series race. And it was yeah. maybe a couple of weeks out. And you said, Greg, look, I don't want to do the 32K. Uh, Let's do 20K and then I wouldn't mind doing a solid 5K on the back of it, you know, yeah, run. Yeah, I remember And that. I was like, oh, that, that sounds good. And you said, look, I'll I'll just bring down the the final 5K. I'll probably look at doing around, you know, 310 to 320K pace. And I said, oh, that's fine. We can do that for 5K. So we ran the first 20K in kind of 340 pace or whatever it was. And we're ticking it along. It was a decent clip. And then it was like, okay, we're 20K. Let's Let's go. And you just 
took off. And I remember, and it was quite hilly. I don't know if you yeah. remember that road. It was called Murdering Creek Road. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I got yeah. absolutely murdered. But <laughs> it was yeah. like, and you took off. And I remember running that first K of the 5K and I looked out my Garmin and it said 302. And yeah, part of that yeah. was uphill. And I was like, oh, my God. And you were already 20 meters in front of me. And then yeah, my I mean, ego kicks in and I'm like, ah, you bastard. And so I spent the whole rest of the time trying to catch you. I don't know what you ended up running that 5K. It in, was about 15 flat, 15 over three. It was definitely 15 flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was close to 15 yeah. flat on the, and this is, you know, 20 to 25K mark of the run. And, yeah. And then you went off to Sydney World Series race two weeks later or three weeks later and um, had a crash, everything else, rode back up and just ran yeah. the field, that, you know, the yeah, Brownleys and everybody. My best races, I remember. Yeah, I had a crash and I. I spent pretty much the whole the rest of the bike course trying to catch the group, and I eventually caught uh, right before transition. But I was last one of a massive group of fifty people in transition. So, and I passed fifty people on the run. I remember, and uh, was one of my best races ever, I would say. And yeah, I guess all that Nusa training uh, really worked. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, taking all the credit. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I, I also I also remember another long run we did, and I think Matthias Hecht was with us, a, 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 an athlete from Switzerland, an Ironman athlete, and he did his own run, and I think you and I went and did, whether it was 30K or whatever we did, and it was a solid run, and then we all went straight to Noosa Aquatic Centre, the pool. Actually, it wasn't straight there. We might have had a couple of hours off, and I said, have a, you know, we're going to do sort of just three 800s, you know, basically just flopping around. And we all did that. And then you said, oh, I might do a 1500 just to finish off. And we all got out and we're like, okay. And we see you push off and, and we watch you start swimming this 1500 long course, by the way. And I'm like, he's actually moving along pretty well here. And we started looking at the the clock and your legs were flipping, you know, every 106, 107 for this 1500 meter you know, swim. And this is the end of a huge day that we'd already done. And I'll never forget the looks on Matthias and, and Laura, my face. You know, we were just like, what in the world? <laughs> this yeah. guy's a freak. That was one of the most impressive workouts I'd seen from yeah. the work that we'd done that morning. It totally blew me away. Well, we, we've all done, have done like crazy stuff in training, I'm pretty sure, you know. <laughs> Nothing like that, mate. You, you might you might say that we've all done that. But I think there's been moments, you know, for me um, throughout watching your career. And I remember the first time we met actually in 2007. Um, mm, yeah, and I think, extender, probably. yeah, I think I'd had a pretty good year in 07. That was the year I'd won every race in the U S and some, some money and, and you'd won every race in the ITU world series. And, mm. and I, and I knew of you, but I didn't know you and my natural competitive ego had kicked in and I'm like, I didn't want to like you. You know, it was like this, yeah, yeah. you know, who's yeah, this, Spanish, yeah, yeah. you know, who's this guy, blah, blah, blah. And, and it was this natural. And you walked straight over from the other side of the pool and said, hi, Greg, I, I'm a big fan. What an honor and lovely to meet you. And I just was like, oh, I'm such a dick. <laughs> I'm such an art. <laughs> this is like one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And, you know, I, I tried so hard to build you up as some kind of villain, you know, and it was just. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think we all do that. Yeah. It happens to me as well. You know, when someone new comes up and you try to, you know, get that defense kind of attitude, like it's going to be my rival. And then, but yeah, but sometimes people is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You're like, damn it. I read that completely wrong and now I've got to be friends with him. Yeah. Uh, so going into, I, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I'm, I'm fascinated by, you know, the way you've approached your, your racing and your training. And 
have you used kind of different mental strategies, whether it be visualizing or affirmations? Are you, you know, creative like that, or how how do you approach your races? Uh, not really. I I, I really uh, when I'm fit and when I work well, I'm very confident. When you know, if I've done a good training block, I'm very confident, mm-hmm. and I uh, just try to focus before the race and think of uh, my race plan, my race strategy, but. Uh, you know, after so many years of learning that you have to be very flexible and anything could happen in the race and mm. probably not what you expected. So you have to be ready to take decisions during the race, which is not easy, but um, yeah, things happen on the bike and you have to yeah take decisions within seconds and that can mark the, you know, how the race is going to go in the end. So you have to be open for anything. And yeah, I try to, don't stress much about racing you know uh, f- you know uh, if i'm fit and i'm racing for so many years and i'm ready for it and then you can always make mistakes but i don't try to make such a big deal you know out of mm-hmm. racing it's just another day um a day that you're gonna give everything for sure and it's not like a training day you have mm-hmm. to know that you're gonna suffer and you're gonna have to give your best but yeah you know when you try to think too much about it and and about the, your race plan and you want to do this and that um then it sometimes it doesn't happen like that and you can get frustrated or or so you have to be ready to to anything and it's almost like yeah. you i spoke to mark allen and those that don't know mark allen was one of the legends of our sport and you know won hawaii six times hawaii man world championships and you know won the first ever Olympic distance world championships in Avignon in 89. And and one of the things that he was saying when I asked him, you know, this sort of similar question, he just said, no, the one thing I did was just try and quiet my mind, just quiet. And yeah. it, I think you're almost saying the same thing, just in different words. And no, it's not about visualizing or affirmations or self-talk. It's about yeah. just being quiet and being in the moment. And, and that seems to be one of the gifts that champion athletes also have and champion people is that they're able to just quieten down the noise. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trying to be relaxed, save energy, stay in a, you know, mm. have a good warm up and save energy and, and don't stress much about thinking about it. Have your ideas or where do you want to attack the race go as you plan or when uh, you're going to make your move and things like that. That's, that's fine. But then let's start and see what happens, you know, and see how the race goes and see what I do. You know, so you what do you be- think about, okay, we're, we're saying quietening the mind and, and all of that kind of, what do you think it's going to take for Javier Gomez to be on the top of the step of the podium come Tokyo in July? You know, in, in all seriousness, you know, what, obviously, you know, you've got, you know, the wonderful Mario Mola and mm-hmm. of, uh, of Spain, your teammate and a lovely guy himself and Vincent Louis, you know, from France that, have had incredible last couple of years um who you got you know you you were third to this year and then you've got all the norwegians there's a bunch of them that seem to be coming you know incredibly quick what do you think it's going to take to win tokyo and and do you think it's going to be as hot last year they shortened the women's race in the run leg because it was so hot um do you think it's going to be the same kind of heat and do you think what kind of times and give me a little insight into what you're thinking it's going to take it's going to be hot for sure, but you know we've been racing in, in extreme heat for for years and years, and they never shorten a race. And now they are very sensitive about it. But I think it's just going to be like when we race in Cancun or you know in Malulava or some really hot places, and you just have to race to the conditions and and deal with it. But 
uh, for me, first of all, is uh, something that I can control, which is my my fitness and try to get my best shape ever. And uh, so I have to focus on myself and and you know get the works workouts done and and be ready to to race at my best level there. Then understand how my rivals or my main rivals race and their strengths, their weaknesses, and how they uh, how they race basically. And yeah, then know the course and what I'm can what I'm gonna find there, and have my mental strategy and yeah, and be ready to fight that day and give absolutely everything I have and and hopefully take the right decisions. <laughs> so you think it's gonna be? I mean, one thing about you is you you're there in the swim, you know, you you're there in the bike. You're not afraid to do some work, and you like an honest bike. Um, and so when you think about it, you know, it's a very good chance it's going to be a 10K. And, and like you, I, I was incredibly disappointed in um, the ITU shortening last year's uh, test event in Tokyo for the women. I, uh, I just think it's like, you know, it's up to the athlete to prepare. It's, uh, it's one thing if there's age group and people, amateurs that maybe aren't prepared as much as a professional should be. But in my mind, an Olympic level endurance athlete should be able to prepare for Tokyo. And heads up, anybody, you know, that's looking at racing in Tokyo in triathlon, hey, it's going to be 90% humidity and probably 35 degrees. So, you know, prepare yourself wisely, whether that's doing, you know, working in heat chambers or whatever it is. But I really, really hope that ITU don't, you know, ruin the sport because I know you and I know you don't want it to be a 5K. I, I think, yeah, no, you know, one I, of the. I'm not a huge fan of the heat, but that's, you know, this is a. The way it is, nobody is, mate. Nobody, nobody. Lo- I think all of us are fair weather people. I think I, I got to the point. I just started admitting it to myself at the end of the, my career. Just going, I just like fair weather. I don't want extreme heat. I don't want extreme cold. I just like to be, you know, in, in temperature. Yeah, but yeah, right. yeah, definitely. What, what do you think uh, the ten k time you're gonna? Have? Do you think you know twenty nine, sixteen in London? Mm-hmm. What do you think you're gonna have to do? I really think it's going to be slower because of the heat. I mean, mm-hmm. as a one things when you're racing the heat is not possible to go as fast as when you're racing 20 degrees temperature mm. so and there are quite lots of corners so i think this year they want me 30 25 or something like that mm. so i guess around 30 minutes flat and but yeah obviously it depends how the bike goes and if there's a breakaway if there's no breakaway if it turns into a running race but i'm pretty sure it's going to be a tough bike. You know, there are lots of strong cyclists out there. Mm. Uh, whether if there's a breakaway or not, I don't know. But for sure, the bike is not going to be easy or, or slow cruising. You know, it's going to be uh, hard. And there are lots of uh, – it's quite a technical course with a lot of uh, sprints, you know, out of the corner. So that will make the race quite hard. And and then I guess you will have to run, yeah, around three-minute pace or around 30 minutes if you want to win. But, yeah, obviously it depends how the race goes. Which in which in a cool environment on a decent ten k, if you were preparing and you were doing a ten k run, say six weeks out from the Olympics in a in a twenty degree type environment, you know you're probably talking about twenty eight thirty, twenty eight high. Yeah, like, I guess there are lots of great runners uh, at the moment. You know, you have Mario who can definitely can run about twenty eight thirty, probably in a ten k. Or you know, you have uh, Yi, the, the British uh, guy, is running amazingly. He already ran sub 28 minutes on the track and you know you have really good runners out there you have really strong cyclists and what we saw last year that the races are really open so it's going to be uh, not so dominating like uh let's say before london but probably tonight it's going to be like a lot of people with real chances to win that race 
And do you guys have a will you guys have a team relay? Do they Spanish I mean with you and with you and Mario, have you got two women to support you? Yeah. This year's the first year for people that don't know triathlon's about to have an extra gold medal. And that's going to be a team relay where it basically goes a, a woman does a full triathlon. Well not a full triathlon, but about a twenty minute segment and then a hands off to a man and then back to a woman and then finishes with a man so i know the french are probably the favorites along with the americans um have uh, with you and mario mola though as two of the best men in the world who are your women that are going to help you guys potentially get a medal there yeah spain will have a team and i don't know if i'll make the team because we have also fernando alarza who was uh, he's young he's very fast and he finished fourth of the world series this year so <laughs> the, the sports director will have to decide the team and i'm happy with whatever really i just want a the best possible team for spain and uh, we i guess the women's going to be uh, uh ana godoy and miriam casillas who they performed pretty well last year and they are actually quite good in short distances so uh, I hope we can make a pretty competitive team. It's going to be hard to be on the medals with, you know, as you said, the French, the Americans, the British. But um, I think we can have a pretty good competitive team as well. Mm, I'd be excited. I, I, it's one of the things, you know, as a retired athlete on the on the sideline and for the kind of team we could have had as an Australian team in the late 90s and early noughties, I kind of sit there and go, wow, that would have been a mm. real thrill to be a part of that. So I hope I hope for your sake as a, as a little – sign off from the olympics and itu kind of racing this year that i i really hope for your sake they they give it to you um i know alas is a fantastic athlete and mario as well but i don't know as as a sports director i think i'd be putting you on as team captain and just saying Look, <laughs> <laughs> go, go out yeah. yeah you never and, know but yeah I'm, I'm not a big fan of this distances but i understand it's really spectacular now watching those races and um Yes, it is really spectator-friendly. Mm. So just wrapping up, uh, you got any kind of just gear recommendations for people listening, especially, you know, there might be some young athletes, but also, um, you know, even older people, just ideas of things that people should maybe bring into, whether it be nutrition. It's also a good time to plug any kind of decent sponsors that you think you're working with or any products that you want to share. Yeah. Yeah, oh, definitely. I've, I've been lucky with my sponsor for many years already, uh, especially uh, I've been riding Specialized for uh, 10 years now, and I won all my world titles except for one, <laughs> riding Specialized bikes. And uh, yeah, great, great stuff, great bikes and, and all, you know, road bikes, tire bikes, mountain bikes, anything really. And yeah, I've been uh, wearing rocker uh, wetsuits and uh, all the swim gear with them, sunglasses with them as well. Um, nutrition two to six Spanish company but really good stuff they helped me a lot especially uh, working my nutrition right in the last few months um, when I was training for, for what was that and, brand again can you repeat that one again two to six yeah it's a, the full distance of uh, Ironman in kilometers instead of oh miles. of course okay two two six yeah. got it got it got it yeah, sorry yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure if I've seen that product in the US and Australia but uh, yeah just, probably not yet but yeah okay. yeah really good stuff as well and you know uh yeah i've been lucky with uh great sponsors some spanish big companies who got involved finally in sport like triathlon which is like brands like movistar which is the main wow. telephone uh, mm-hmm. company in spain or uh banco santander which is the main bank in spain as well my sponsors so it's good for uh, what has always been a small sport in Spain, like triathlon. Uh, we finally get the good attention from. Yeah, when you're getting telecommunications and, and banks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. It's always, a, always a good thing. It took me a lot of work and a lot of, no, of world course. titles. I had to win lots of world titles to get that. But finally, yeah, it's, um, I mean, 
good situation, a good position. I'm really enjoying the, the sport and my professional career at the moment. Yeah. And what about just a couple of tips on where, where are some good training locations that people should, you know, explore if they want to, you know, if they're training for a race or they want to spend a, a training camp somewhere. You know, you're in New Zealand at the moment. You're yeah. in Spain, but Mallorca. Yeah, well, both, both places uh, in Spain, uh, yeah, definitely Mallorca is a very popular training destination and, and it's great. But, uh, I also like Pontevedra where I live uh, in the summer, especially because it could be a bit wet in winter. But, um, yeah, it's great because it's not as hot as the south of Spain, but it's really good, really good temperature and endless riding uh, good running as well um in new zealand where i am at the moment it's uh, also great especially this time of the year with good weather um uh, yeah the roads are maybe not so nice you know the, the new zealand <laughs> roads but it makes it tough. where are you yeah. in new zealand whereabouts do you guys uh, i'm in uh, mount manganui there's a taranga on the east coast um gotcha. yeah by the beach and uh yeah, lot really good running, really good running here. Good pools and uh, pretty chilled lifestyle, so it's great as well here. Yeah. Uh, lots of great places in the world. I, I I used to love Nusa as well when I trained there with you um over a few years, and that was great as well. So yeah, lots of places. As 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 long as you want to train, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, lots of great places in the world to do it here. Yeah. yeah. All right, mate. Well, it has been a real pleasure to have you on the show, and I, I really appreciate your time and. Honestly, I'm your biggest fan, mate. So I, I just so badly want to see you, you know, things for your way um, come Tokyo this year with the Olympics. I think it's – if anybody deserved it if, it, if it came to who deserves it, I don't think anybody would argue with me that, you know, we want Javier Gomez to have it. And, uh, and I know you've got the work ethic and the ability to make it happen. But, mate, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been wonderful, mate. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Greg. It's been a pleasure to, to talk to you again and uh, hope we can catch up soon. All right, mate. Stay on the line and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.